are listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast. Here are your hosts, Ben and Garth. Hello, I am Ben Calcaterra and I am here with Garth Reynolds. We are here to bring you the next episode of Illinois Farm Talk by the Illinois Pharmacists Association, brought to you by the Law Office of Joseph J. Bogdan. In this episode, we're going to talk about the latest happenings in the world of COVID-19 and what the pharmacists around the state are doing to combat the pandemic. So let's get right into it. Hello, Garth. Hello, Ben. So COVID-19, it's pretty much uh, taking control of our lives since uh, early March at the very latest, uh, if, if you don't want to count the early months of, of looking in ahead into the future and predicting what was coming out of China before it really got, got its legs under it. Um, but March 13th is the date that is solid in my mind when everything just kind of hit the fan and, and we started shutting things down, going drive-through only, making all the policies and procedure changes across the state. So let's just get into it. Let's, let's talk about it. What, what's been going on and where are we today? Well, we definitely have a lot to catch everybody up on since our last time that we broadcasted an episode to everyone. And um, just to kind of show everyone where we're at today, we're recording this on June 4th, and the global cases is at 6.6 million cases. And I think whenever we first started doing um, information sheets and everything back in March, what were we at? Like a, we were well under what, two, like two hundred to three hundred thousand cases, it was, or it was far less than that. I think. Sounds about right. Yes. And now in the United States, we're at one point eight seven million cases, and we lead the we lead the globe in the number of cases. The next country at this point is Brazil, and with a with you know, and they they only have a third of the cases that we have. It's at over six hundred thousand. And um, here in Illinois, you know, we are a major hotspot for the country. And that's not just Chicago, the city of Chicago, but all of the Chicagoland area. And so, and also the Metro East and other hotspots throughout the state. I think a lot of people think this is just a Chicago problem. But Illinois has 124,759 cases. And unfortunately, we have lost 5,746 Illinoisans. And um, and we really have to take a look at the impact and really stop and think about how this could have been much worse if Governor Pritzker um, did not take the actions that we did with doing the stay-at-home, trying to restrict access in, in the communities, and trying to help slow the spread and try to flatten the curve, which... You know, we're still going through the various processes, especially those of you who have joined us for our weekly town halls definitely know this. And, you know, we have, of the 102 counties, 101 have at least one case of COVID-19. And again, this is not just a Chicago outbreak, but Illinois is like the second or third, depending on what day you look at, of one of the hot spots outside of New York. So we are a significant um, focus for the COVID-19 um, infection spread throughout the country. And, and if you look at our surrounding states, they've had various levels of um, infection as well. So some have not been anywhere near what we've experienced, but some have been very close, like Indiana. So we, we have to remember and remind ourselves that 
right now we still need to be practicing social distancing. We need to still be encouraging masks, and that's still that's been a that has been a recommendation from IPHA since almost March 13th, if not right at March 13th, because we we'll go through sort of the resources that we um, help develop and get out to you if you haven't taken a look at some of them um, since um, early March, uh, but we have been trying to help you stay ahead of the game and we have been fortunate to be positioned with getting out information as it comes out um, both on a state level and and most importantly also from a national level so with IPHA we really started right away working on gathering information truthful information that we could verify through multiple sources and get it to you so that you could discuss with your patients and very quickly even on i believe it was march 12th or march 13th um thanks to uh, ben and uh, Brittany hoffman eubanks our co-chair of our public relations committee developed our patient information sheet which we've updated and um, probably need to do another update on again um, just trying to help give you a one pager of being able to provide patients information on the basics of, of the COVID-19 um, COVID infection. In addition, shortly thereafter, because we started looking at from an association point of view, both on a state and a national level, the full scope of the pandemic and trying to figure out what you would need as a pharmacist and being able to battle uh, COVID-19, and I choose that word specifically because this is a war. We have got to beat this virus down, and it's going to take the entire healthcare profession to be able to help control it so we can try to get back to a newer normal. And I am so proud of how Illinois pharmacists, Illinois student pharmacists, and Illinois technicians have stood up and fought this virus. We have, we have shown what pharmacists can do, and we're continuing to show why we are the most accessible healthcare provider in our communities. And, and with it's that, important, Garth, as mm -hmm, you say that, about being the most important healthcare provider in, in the communities, because already, uh, just in a couple short months, we have been able to educate legislators into passing some some legislation that I'm sure you're going to talk about later that allows pharmacists to practice at the top of their their profession that we have been preaching for years and years and unfortunately it took a pandemic to get there to raise awareness to the point that we're actually getting some of the recommendation or the recognition that we have been asking for but we are finally there so um, like you said it is a war, but it, unfortunately, it took a war to get some positive outcomes. And that's true. And I and I have to echo the statements of Tom Minigan, who is now the former uh, CEO of APHA. And he said, after the books are written on COVID-19, he believes that this will be pharmacy's shining moment because we have shown in communities throughout this nation that pharmacy is essential to the to the success of the healthcare system from the pharmacists that are working in the ICUs in the in the emergency departments to pharmacists working hard in long-term care facilities to help with battling um, 
the COVID-19 as it continues to ravage its way through um, long-term care facilities and especially to our community pharmacies for trying to help keep normal operations going, making sure patients still have medications. And now we're all stepping up throughout our practice settings and preparing for COVID testing, which we'll talk more about here in a minute. But again, this shows the value of pharmacists. And if anything, we're showing that we do far, far more than what most people think, which is put something from a big bottle to a small bottle and put a label around it. So back starting on March 18th and March 20th, um, the IPHA, along with the Illinois Council of Health System Pharmacists, the Illinois Association of Long-Term Care Pharmacy Providers, and the Illinois Retail Merchants Association, we submitted to Governor Pritzker a number of recommendations. And most of the recommendations were a joint list of a series of 10 recommendations that were based on a joint paper called Pharmacists as Frontline Responders for COVID-19 Patient Care. And this was released by the 12 National Pharmacy Associations from APHA, NCPA, ASHP, ASCP, NACDS, ACPE, and NASPA. And so this showed that pharmacy quickly united in how we should combat COVID-19. Now, of course, this did not include all recommendations that we felt were needed, but it was a baseline and a foundational effort. And so we submitted those 10 recommendations to the governor's office along with 18 other additional recommendations that we felt were necessary to be able to combat and look forward to try to give you all of the essential um, tools that you needed. Now, granted, not all 18 were Im- initially implemented, but various ones were in some forms, and we'll talk about them. So because of IPHA's advocacy effort and our joint effort of pharmacy associations talking as one, we were able to help Im- implement and speak for the profession to the governor's office and to public health, the Department of Insurance, and the Medicaid and then Department of Financial and Professional Regulation, because all of these different segments impacted how we fight COVID. And it's not just a one representative effort. And so it's it was it, it was an interesting situation as we started to go through these recommendations. And of course, this was changing on a daily basis because we know as we knew more about COVID, it required us to quickly alter how we were looking at our recommendations, and some of those recommendations did change. In addition to that, we had to start looking at what was happening in the supply chain. And then early on in the supply chain, it was absolutely obvious that we did not have enough personal protective equipment for pharmacy personnel. And let's be honest, all of healthcare. And I would say that we're still, even though we're in June, we're still battling with a severe shortage of personal protective equipment. And we were very concerned from an IPHA point of view about the safety of pharmacy personnel in many pharmacies, especially chain pharmacies. And we list, we started and released on March 20th was our first draft of our pharmacy recommendations during COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of it started with APHA passing emergency 
um, new business items during our very first virtual House of Delegates through APHA. And of course, myself, along with six other um, delegates for Illinois, we proudly represented you um, virtually um, in this first house. And we uh, were glad to support these two policies. And um, we felt we had to keep pushing. And so IPHA was working based on what some other state pharmacy associations working along with us came up with our own recommendations because we'll be honest here, the CDC was weak. The CDC was not protecting pharmacies and not prioritizing that community-based health care is just as important as health system health care. Now, we, we, we have to admit a lot of times during a traditional pandemic situation, most of it gets focused in the health system. This pandemic was completely different than a lot of the exercises, and the CDC did not quickly respond. So we had to step up with coming up with our own recommendations, and that's why we were recommending plexiglass and other separations and closing lobbies and working with curbside and, and drive through and delivery way earlier than the CDC was recommending. But we are glad to see that finally in mid-April, that the CDC and still holds that, that they started to up the level of, of risk that a pharmacy personnel have and in their interactions with patients and specifically with COVID possible patients. So we're glad to see that. And we still stand hold that, you know, again, you got to have face masks, you got to have social distancing. Um, very recently on March, excuse me, on May 28th, the CDC did um, lighten up a little bit on some of the recommendations because uh, specifically on immunizations. Um, therefore, while it was kind of prohibited unless it was absolutely necessary, now it's loosened up saying it's more of a uh, pharmacist guidance um, and uh, and your call and how, how the risk of the patient is because, again, if you are going to be immunizing a patient, you need to be gloved, you need to be masked. I'd even recommend going with a face shield in addition to because you need to be treating every patient that you get close enough to have hands-on contact as if they're COVID positive. And that's just for your protection and for their protection. And so as we continue to get closer and closer to flu season, traditional flu season, and our immunization efforts there, we need to start practicing that now so we are prepared because the way we need to act for it now will more than likely be how we'll have to act for it this upcoming flu season. In late March, we did start to see a lot of misinformation coming around about possible treatment options for COVID. And unfortunately, a lot of this was coming from the federal administration and specifically the White House, specifically talking about hydroxychloroquine, which is traditionally used for malaria. And there was some possible anecdotal information and data out there that was trying to state that this could be a possible treatment for COVID. And a lot of people, including um, the administration, really picked up on this and still kind of tried to tout it as a treatment option, um, despite now newer evidence to show that that's not true. But the damage was already done. And in one weekend, um, again, a lot of this was around March 20th, and it's really, it was interesting. That, that, that whole week, from March 18th 
to March 25th was a significant amount of information coming out and a lot of things changing with hour by hour. And we saw a significant run in hoarding of hydroxychloroquine. And this was something ethically that was disturbing to us because it wasn't patients that were hoarding the medication. It was prescribers. Prescribers prescribing it for themselves, for their family, for their close friends, and basically not having legitimate patient physician or patient prescriber relationships that were established and writing for large quantities outside the medical necessary or medical recommended um, treatment um, regimens. And so we quickly ran out as a nation on hydroxychloroquine. Well, you would think, you know, with this being, you know, for malaria, that's not a big deal, but this is also used for a lot of patients with lupus and a lot of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And the damage is still done. And Ben, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of insurances are still unnecessarily limiting smaller quantities of hydroxychloroquine, and that's causing a lot more barriers. So patients with lupus and RA have kind of been punished because of other people's actions. That is correct. There are some insurance plans that are limiting the amount of hydroxychloroquine that you're able to fill for a patient. I know some insurances, you can't even fill a 90-day supply right now because they are still limiting these to prevent the unnecessary prescribing, um, which, is, which is, like you said, damaging and hurting the, the regular patients that have been getting this way before COVID ever hit. And this is why even at the May Illinois State Board of Pharmacy meeting, IPHA has continued our stance that we're asking the department to look into, investigate every one of these prescriptions specifically during that weekend in March and really examine the unethical conduct that happened here in Illinois. And it's something that doesn't need to go unanswered and definitely nothing that needs to go with a slap on the wrist or a warning letter. Um, this really hurt patients and this goes against our basic foundational oath as healthcare providers of doing no harm. And also during this time, during COVID-19, IPHA just with trying to help digest all of the information out there, we started doing weekly town halls in late March. And we've continued to do that. And we're, we're, we've even started instituting um, mini CE programs of like 15 minutes at the very first of our town halls. And again, this has helped our members have an interactive component, interactive discussion that is basically no filter where we allow everyone to ask their questions and we try to help out if we can. We'll try to get the answer for them the next week if we need to. But I really think that these town halls have really helped our members network in a way that we may not have been able to do before. And um, in being able to connect pharmacists from throughout the state as we continue to have the common goal of combating COVID-19. I know that just being a listener on the town halls has been extremely helpful uh, hearing questions that I didn't think to ask from other members that are on the call. So like you said, the networking, it, it's it, instrumental in times like this where uh, we, can, we can put all of our collective brains together uh, to come out ahead. And, and I think it's been very beneficial. And for all of, of the listeners here, if you haven't joined one of the town halls and you are a member of IPHA, you need to 
uh, check your email and join. Uh, it's typically Wednesday nights. And if you are not a member, why not join so that you can join the town halls? Because it is extremely informative and you're missing out on a lot of, of important information and updates. And again, those are Wednesdays from 7 until 8 p.m. And we've done pretty well with trying to keep it to an hour. Sometimes we run a little less, sometimes we run just a little tad over, but we do our best to keep that just to an hour because we want to be respective of your time. And um, just to let you know, for the last, the next three sessions here in um, June, we do have CE programs that are assigned for that. So at least we'll be continuing them weekly, at least through June. And uh, we'll conti we continue to reevaluate that as we go through. But as long as members are interested, we're going to continue talking every week. As we said earlier, there have been a lot of changes based on the recommendations that we were making to the governor's office. And I specifically want to focus on a lot of what has happened through DFPR, through the Board of Pharmacy. And um, we're glad that the board listened to a lot of what we were talking about was going on through for pharmacy to be able to battle COVID-19 and being able to be uh, really flexible as we go through because we had to kind of look at all of our practice acts, not only just pharmacy, and try to figure out how to really just bend them a lot. And um, we never really got to the point of breaking any of them, of course, but uh, some of them do have a good curve in them right now. Um, so the first thing that DFPR did just to really help not only themselves administratively, but to help everyone. Um, if you remember what happened, it was supposed to happen at the end of March this year is all pharmacists and pharmacies and technicians were supposed to have our licenses renewed. Well, that was not going to be an administrative issue that not alone our profession really could handle and make sure because we know a lot of people were still um, trying to renew and get all their CE in. So the department renewed all of our licenses and extended them until September 30th of 2020. So you have until September 30th to get your CE and to get your fees in and to get renewed. And that's for pharmacies and pharmacists and technicians in your controlled substance licenses. So if you go on there right now and you do a reprint, it'll, it'll say that your license is good till September 30th. Now, one thing that we're trying to clarify for those that have already renewed and did, you know, through the normal process, and if you're getting CE right now, we're trying to get that clarified of how that's going to be counted, and um, we'll re we'll update you at a normal at a at a later time. We're we're assuming that CE will be counted for could be counted for both periods. We're not quite sure exactly how that's going to work just yet. The department also issued a guidance on telehealth just to remind that all practitioners could provide telehealth and it also allowed some out-of-state telehealth um, practitioners of all levels to be able to engage with Illinois patients if need be without having to have an Illinois license. Um, it, we also um, clarified through the department that delivery is possible through pharmacy without any prohibitions and um, we're glad to see most pharmacies were already doing that, but we wanted to make sure that there were no prohibitions and the state clear that the state wanted you to deliver so that that could get you out of any contract prohibitions that you may have had through a PBM. Um, we wanted to clarify um, that remote processing could be allowed for pharmacy and for health systems and um, even long-term care. And so 
we're we're hoping some of that specific long-term care can continue because it's um it's something that we've been kind of working on for the number of years and we still got to work with public health on that part of it but for everyone else it was good to see a reminder that remote processing was available and then the department did finally issue kind of a warning both on prescribers and a caution for pharmacies to take a look at making sure that prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine were legitimate and to caution prescribers to make sure that they had a valid patient-prescriber relationship. Um, there was guidance put out about conserving uh, personal protective equipment, specifically in compounding pharmacies and in health systems. And the, the, the state actually endorsed the USP guidelines for conserving PPE. We allowed out-of-state pharmacists who were in good standing to be able to come into the state to help us out if we got to the point of needing additional help from the outside. And the department issued guidance stating that they recognized and endorsed the FDA's loosening of restrictions on 503A and 503B pharmacies and allowing those pharmacies to be able to help health systems in trying to meet medication shortages and related to COVID-19. And this was a huge help because we were working on with our compounding section, working directly with the Department of Public Health, trying to end ICHP and trying to figure out how best we could assist hospitals that were seeing these medication shortages. And we had pharmacies that were able to come in and assist, specifically in the sterile market. And then finally, probably the biggest change in proclamation. Most of these were guidances, and one of two proclamations that came out that impacted us had to do with administering COVID-19 tests. And this was huge for us because this allowed for pharmacists to be able to screen patients, order, that's right, order, administer, read, and report findings of tests that are considered under a CLIA-waived laboratory license in relation to COVID-19. So you do, your pharmacy does have to have a waived CLIA-waived laboratory license, which you can apply for through the Department of Public Health, and you can order, which means you can write prescriptions for COVID tests, so that means you can write for the, the COVID in, um, detection test and for antibody tests or the antigen tests. You can also, so you can administer the three available COVID tests right now. And there is, I know, one wave finger stick antigen test that's coming out. And so I'm sure as we go forward, there will be more tests available through waved laboratories. But let me be very, very, very clear here. Pharmacists can only administer CLIA wave tests. There are many companies out there that are trying to tell you that they are FDA approved, or they may say they're FDA registered. And that is true. A lot of companies right now through the emergency use authorizations or the EUAs are considered to be FDA registered or recognized. But that just means that the FDA goes, yeah, we know you're there, but we haven't had a time to go through all of your data to make sure that you meet all the qualifications 
So we're just going to default you and say that you're at a, at a, a CLIA level of high or H, which means that you can only be a laboratory that can handle high complexity and high capacity lab, lab tests, which pharmacies are not. Those are your normal full service labs. So if you look at a lot of these tests that these some a lot of companies are reaching out to pharmacies, they're level H and we are not allowed to do those. So we can only do ones that have a W after them on the um, EUA listing on the FDA's website and those are the, and those are for CLIA waived laboratories. And let's not forget, so, let's back up just one second because we're spending some time talking about the tests that are allowed for the with, with the CLIA waiver, but let's not be remiss in educating our pharmacists out there that you have to have a CLIA waiver before you can begin this process also. Every pharmacist is not given a blanket endorsement to go out and administer these CLIA waive tests. You also have to apply and be granted a CLIA waiver before getting to that step. And that's absolutely correct. I mean, the proclamation clearly states that your pharmacy has to have a CLIA waiver, um, CLIA certificate of wa waiver, or you're working in a long-term care facility or a state-regulated hospital or an FQHC center, and those would also have um, the various required waivers, or you're working under the direct the direction of IEMA or Department of Public Health. So most of us, probably 99% of us, that will be doing the testing are either going to be in the CLIA waived category or working in a long-term care facility or a hospital or an FQHC. So again, has been stated, you just can't go out and just start doing this. You do have to have a CLIA waiver. And we're recommending that you go through proper training. And IPHA right now is working very closely with APHA and some other stakeholders in trying to get a training that we feel is adequate. We do know that there are trainings out there that are available, but our professional affairs committee has reviewed some of these trainings and found them to be inadequate to be honest because we feel that this requires a, a live or virtual skills assessment and that's what we're working on right now trying to get this completed so that we can get everyone prepared and feel comfortable with this because this is some most of you have not been properly trained on how to do a nasal swab or a throat swab or a nasal pharyngeal swab. And one of, the, and one of the things is, specifically on that last one, in the skills assessment, we will be asking you to do this on yourself and to do this on a partner to be able to show that you have the adequate and appropriate and successful skill to be able to do this repeatedly with a patient. And we want you to know how it feels because it is not the most comfortable screening method available. And but it can it's also one that we need to make sure that you do properly each and every time. And we're continuing to have conversations. Actually, we had conversations today, continuing to work on reimbursement issues through Medicaid and trying to get clarifications to the Department of Insurance. And we got some positive feedback from the Department of Insurance today. Um, so we'll see how that works out as we go forward. But nationally, we're working with Medicare as well to make sure that everything is ready to go 
as we continue to get pharmacy throughout the country ready for testing. Because I firmly believe, and a lot of others do too, that this country, and specifically, I'm going to say it here for Illinois, Illinois will not get to phase five in the governor's reopen plan without pharmacists. This state will not be back on its feet unless pharmacists are testing, and we will be the ones to help the rest of the healthcare community that's testing right now get our state back on its feet. So let's band together. Let's work as a team. Let's do what we were trained to do and what we took an oath to do. And let's take care of our communities and our state so we can all get back together as a team. So with that, we'll, uh, we, we've had a lot of information there. So thank you, Garth. That's, that's a lot of information that a lot of our members uh, probably have not heard yet. So I'm, I'm glad that we've had this opportunity and this medium to share that. So thank you for that update. Um, and, and as we've had all this information to chew on for a bit, we're going to let that soak and marinate for a bit. We're going to take a bit of a break and hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back with some more information. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Joseph J. Bogdan, or Jay, is a pharmacist and an attorney. He received his PharmD from the University of Illinois and was a chief pharmacy prosecutor with the Illinois Department of Professional Regulation and has now been in his current practice for 20 years. Jay is an active member with the Illinois Pharmacists Association and currently serves as a regional director on the board of directors. If you are a pharmacy technician, pharmacist, or pharmacy owner who has been contacted or accused of a legal violation by the state board, DEA, PBMs, or any other agency, contact Jay at 630-310-1267. You can call a lawyer or you can call a lawyer who knows pharmacy because he is one of you. You can find more information about the Law Office of Joseph J. Bogdan on their website at www.jjblawoffice.com or call 630-310-1267. Again, 630-310-1267. Hello, I am Ben Calcaterra, and I want to let you know just how important it is to hold a membership in the Illinois Pharmacists Association. The Illinois Pharmacists Association stands up for all pharmacists across the state, from community to health system, academia to long-term care. Your membership will strengthen the efforts of the entire association. Consider joining today to gain valuable insights and updates about news and events affecting the profession of pharmacy in the state of Illinois. To gain educational opportunities such as CPEs and certificate training programs, or to help advocate to protect the abilities of pharmacists to practice in the best way they possibly can. Stand up for your profession, stand up for your state, and stand up for your patients. Join today. Call the office today or log on to IPHA.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IL Pharmacists. That's plural with the S, IL Pharmacists. And welcome back from that break, and thank you to our sponsor again, Joseph J. Bogdan Law Office. If you need a a legal representation from a pharmacist and a lawyer, J. Bogdan's your guy. Go talk to him today. So uh, after that break, we're going to go right into some IPHA stuff here, and and one of the things that we always like to talk about is our advocacy fund. So again, we're here to ask for your donations. Uh, The Advocacy Fund is always working for you, even when you think it's not. 
on this side of the COVID-19 break, there, the legislative session did not go as planned. They, they didn't really come together. We didn't really have a, a big season. We had to drop our, our legislative day. So we've missed out on a lot of opportunities for advocacy. But that doesn't mean that we weren't able to advocate on your behalf. And in the short few days that the legislature came together uh, in the Capitol, we were able to use our lobbyists to get all of these these great proclamations and guidances to the governor's office and, and legislators' information and educated. Uh, our, our lobbyists did a great job getting all this stuff passed, allowing us to be able to work at the top of our profession, just like Garth has told us on, on the other side of the break. Um, you know, our, our lobbyists did a great job, and that's all due to the funding in the advocacy fund. So that is your donation dollars at work, getting all of these quick hit legislative efforts passed. Information to the right people at the right time when we needed it the most. It was all because of our advocacy fund donations that we've had in the past, and we need to keep that fund going. So thank you if you've donated, and if you have not, please do, because it is very important for the, the safety of our state and the ability of our profession to continue the way it is to make sure that we are always watching out for you, our members. Uh, so thank you for that. Along with advocacy, uh, we'd like to talk about Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is, is still in the sights. It's been postponed, but, but we still are looking at the, the Arkansas uh, legislative effort down there with the Supreme Court outcome case. So, so Garth, give us a little bit of an update on, on what's going on down in the great state of Arkansas. Well, as we know, and we've talked here for um, many times about the, the upcoming Rutledge versus PCMA uh, Supreme Court case, which is pinnacle for the future of pharmacy and specifically the future of PBM reform. And because of COVID-19, the Supreme Court, like most um, other government facilities were impacted by COVID-19. And initially they delayed a lot of their March cases and that pushed the work into April. And then the court decided that they weren't just going to be sitting on their hands. They decided for the very first time to actually do virtual, um, virtual hearing of oral arguments. And it was really more through a conference call, not as much through a webinar or Zoom or anything like that, but it was through conference calls, which that meant that the public and the press could actually hear the arguments. And that's that's completely new for the court. As we know, the court's been is always very closed in about who gets to hear the cases and everything's on recorders and everything like that. Nothing's ever broadcasted live. And this is the first time that this has ever happened for the Supreme Court. And everyone that follows the Supreme Court really hopes that this will continue after COVID-19. And But because of our case and, the, and their backed-up caseload, a lot of cases that weren't imminently important that impacted the function of government were pushed off. And so our case was actually has been pushed off to the fall session. Right now it looks like we'll probably be in either late October or early November. So one thing to remember, that's a great opportunity for us to continue advocating and continue just getting public awareness for our case because what is October? American Pharmacist Month. 
And I think we need to take every opportunity to let through social media, through the press, through letters to the editor, to let everybody know that this case is important for patients and important for the future of pharmacy. Don't say that you weren't prepared because we're letting you know now. You've got plenty of time. Start getting those memes and social media posts ready because it's going to be time to unleash all of it in October. And as you remember, back in February, we were asking you to step up to the line when it comes to helping out Arkansas and their efforts for the expenses that they had for the submitting of the amicus brief that all um, state pharmacy associations were able to sign on to. And I'm proud to say that Illinois has sent to Arkansas uh, $4,500 for these efforts. Now, that may not sound like a lot for some people, or it may, it, but it is a significant amount of money. So er, if every state association sends Arkansas $4,500 at least, it will well more than cover their costs for right now for the amicus briefs and any other legal uh, fees that they have incurred. So this really helps the effort, and Arkansas is greatly pleased for the support and knowing that Illinois pharmacists are standing alongside with them in this fight. Yes, that's great information about Arkansas. I know that it's going to be on everybody's sites come this fall. Uh, we're going to need all hands on deck. Uh, it's going to be big. Uh, as you said, pinnacle, that's, that's a great word. This is going to be the peak of interest of every pharmacist. Uh, even the ones that don't really recognize how important this is. I, I, I think there's still, unfortunately, a lot of pharmacists out there that are kind of, uh, uh, un unfortunately, they don't see the big picture in, in, in what these cases are, are going to trickle down and affect them in their daily life. And um, I, just, I just want you to know, if you're listening and you're just working your counter nine to five, understand that this all affects every single one of us moving forward. This is the profession in the hands of the judges. So we should all be paying attention. We should all be making that push. We should all be educating and advocating this fall. Uh, so, so keep it in your sights and, and get ready because it's going to be a, a, a big push. Uh, moving along, let's talk about some upcoming dates and events, Garth. What do we have on tap? Well, on June 20th, so not that long, not that far away, we will be offering APHA's Medication Therapy Management Program. And so we will be doing this virtually through Zoom, and this will actually be our third offering virtually. We tested one last year for APHA with success, not knowing that we would be doing this as a regular way of delivering continuing education now in 2020. And we, and so if you missed our May offering because of the success of the May offering, we are offering this again on June 20th. And this is part of IPHA's partnership with the Illinois Department of Public Health on our, our 1815 CDC grant. So this is a special price for Illinois pharmacists to be able to obtain the MTM certificate training program for $59. That's almost $300 off. So definitely take the opportunity today to do this because we are limiting um, participants to this to 20 um, because we want to make sure with this being in a virtual environment 
that we're having good discussion and productive discussion. So this is a limited class. So make sure to sign up quickly for this. And again, it's $59. It's discounted because of the grant. And so we're glad to the CDC and, and Illinois Department of Public Health with helping us to be able to offer this program to you at such a great, great uh, price. Wait a minute. Let's just back up one second. Rewind. Did you say $59? Yes, $59. That's amazing, folks. If you have not done the medication therapy management program and you're going to pass it up for 59 lousy bucks, come on, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. In addition, our annual awards nominations are now open. The form is available at IPHA.org. So please make sure that you go on and recognize your peers. In addition to our annual awards, we will be also looking at recognizing individuals for special recognition for going above and beyond the service during COVID-19. So please do consider your peers and what they have done to be able to serve pharmacy and patients here in Illinois. And I'd like to say that having served on the committee that chooses from the nominations that come into to the office, uh, it is very much appreciated for our membership to submit those nominations. It's very hard for that committee to do without getting nominations in. So it's it, it really helps. I, I can't stress enough. We need your support here. We need you to send us what's going on in the state. We can't, you know, we don't have ears everywhere. We need your help. We need you to tell us what's going on, who's doing it, why it's important, and who should be recognized. Because without you telling us this information, those people who are doing excellent jobs out there uh, treating pa patients and keeping our profession at the top, we won't know about it, and they need to be recognized. So please, like Gar said, get on the, 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 the web page, download the forms, submit the nominations, get those nominations to us today so we can choose effectively the right people that deserve recognition. And we want to make sure that you have still on your calendar September 24th through the 27th for the Illinois and Missouri Pharmacist Annual Conference, our joint meeting with IPHA and the Missouri Pharmacy Association. Now, granted, we're still evaluating how this will be handled. Right now, we're still tentatively scheduled for the Hilton at the ballpark in St. Louis, but we have been preparing since we since March 13th, when everything changed. We shifted our focus to looking at creating a an energetic, interactive, and well-produced virtual experience for our conference. So we are prepared to offer this in, in, in both versions, but both IPHA and the Missouri Pharmacy Association are continuing to look at this situation in trying to evaluate the best way and the safest way to be able to provide our annual networking experience to you. And we're hoping to have information to you in the coming weeks um, about what our final de decision will be, whether it will be live or virtual or a hybrid. So keep, keep close to your um, email communications as we continue to go forward. But right now, IPHA and MPA are working hard um, creating a program 
that's going to be just as great live as it will be virtual in whatever form that we ultimately end up producing that for you. Well, I can tell you this much. As amazing as conference always is, the networking is outstanding. The CEs that you get is just uh, top of the game, uh, best you'll find around. Um, not to mention, you know, the late night networking is always primo compared to the daytime networking. Uh, but, it, you know, joint conference is just that much more special than our regular conference because we're sharing it with Missouri. You, you should not miss out on this. It, it is something special. And if you haven't been to conference in a while, uh, if you've never been to conference especially, you really need to come to a conference to just appreciate all that it has to offer um, with, with, with all of the CEs that you're going to get, updates on drug management and immunization updates and, and all the student happenings that, that are going on with competitions, um, not to mention all of the vendors that come to, to show their goods. Um, you know, there's always something for everyone. And... I would like to say, if it does become a virtual conference, do you really want to miss out on the first ever virtual conference? Do you want to be that guy, that girl, that missed out and said, I missed that one? No, you don't. You want to take part. You want to see what it has to offer because I'm positive that we're going to have something special that you're not going to want to miss out on. So definitely sign up. Definitely keep that date range in your in your calendar because you're not going to want to miss out on either the in-person joint annual conference or the first ever virtual conference uh, so don't forget and i'll even add that our invited keynote speakers are apha president-elect sandra liao and newly appointed apha ceo and executive vice president scott Knorr. Those are two talks that you do not want to miss. So definitely uh, you want to be there. You definitely want to be there. Well, hopefully the next time that we get together for a podcast episode, we might have some better news about COVID-19 going by the wayside. Um, but, you know, as we've been learning, it's probably going to be here for a while. So our next podcast episode will probably give you updates on COVID again. So just uh, keep in mind that we're going to be back here with another episode to keep you up to date, as we always do. So with that, I think we're going to wrap it for now. So thank you, Garth. Thank you, Ben. And thank you to our listeners and our sponsor, the Law Office of Joseph J. Bogdan, for supporting this show. Check back regularly to hear new episodes as we will keep you updated on legislative matters happening around the state. You can find us on the Internet at IPHA.org, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as IL Pharmacists. That's plural with the S, IL Pharmacists. Follow us today to stay in the know. That will do it for this installment of Illinois Farm Talk. Stay tuned for our next chapter as the Voice for Pharmacy in Illinois brings you another edition of Illinois Farm Talk. Thank you for listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast. 